0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the My Minds podcast, where we demystify mental health and make sharing mainstream within the fitness and exercise community. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everybody, welcome to the latest My Minds interview. Um, today, I am honored to be introducing <laughs> our guest, who is an award winning GP with over 20 years' experience and an author of several books, um, including her latest, I believe, of the Student Wellbeing series, um, yep. Dr. Dominique Thompson. Uh, I might, can I call you Dom? Is that okay?
1: Yes, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Everybody calls me Dom. Thank you, John. Okay.
0: Um, can, Dom, just for the people listening who haven't heard of you before, can you just kind of um, give a brief introduction to yourself and kind of tell us about your history in regards to working with mental health and disordered eating?
1: Sure. So a quick potted history. Uh, My name is Dominique Thompson. I am a GP by training. So by background, although I left clinical practice uh, three years ago now to to do other things, which I'll come back to. So when I was a GP, I specialised in young people's health generally so obviously I saw anything and everything that walked in the door at the university practice where I was at Bristol University and then I started to get more interested in mental health, uh, was seeing more mental health so you know that drove the interest in particular eating uh, disorders and issues Um, and over that time I started to uh, worry that the that the service we were providing was fine as GPs, but we weren't always giving um, fast enough uh, support and therapy to the the students coming in. So one of the things I did was set up the country's first uh, primary care eating disorders service uh, based completely in primary care and uh, it was Very successful, rolled out all over Bristol and then um, after a a couple of years that had been up and running so that was going well so I did the same with a service for people um, who self-harm significantly Uh, so providing something called DBT, dialectical behavioural therapy for young people in primary care which isn't done anywhere else. So I've always had this um, can-do approach, I'm a practical person, if I see a problem I like to solve it uh, which is why about three years ago, I thought actually, I'm going to just go at this a different way for a bit. And I started to give talks and write books. So that's kind of where we are. But in the meantime, I've done things like Beyond the Nice Eating Disorders Guidelines Group. I'm a clinical advisor for the Royal College of GPs. I'm a clinical advisor for Student Minds. I've been involved with other books and chapters and things. So we could talk forever
0: about it. yeah i <laughs> will um,
1: stop there
0: you're definitely the the highest level of expertise we've had in the interviews so far so i'm <laughs> I'm very excited for this um just to kind of get started, I, I've, I've watched kind of it numerous times now, but your TED talk, um, which is titled, I believe, uh, What I Learned in 78,000 GP Consultations with University Students.
1: That's
0: good, thank um, you. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> it's I will be. It is, it is. Um, but it's brilliant. It's, it's quite a short, it's quite short, it's only 10 yeah. minutes, as, as like most TED talks are. Um, I'll be linking it below wherever I post this so people can watch it. Um, But I thought it would be a good kind of interesting kickstart if you could kind of explain your theories on uh, you kind of talk about competitiveness and perfectionism, um, just for the people listening.
1: Sure, of course. So, I mean, basically, one of the questions that I got asked a lot over the last few years was why were we seeing so many more young people with mental health distress and anxiety, and whether it was eating disorders or self-harm? And I got obviously very interested in that question myself. So one of the first things I did when I stopped being flat out as a GP, you don't really have much time to think about anything else, but I wanted to do some research into it. And I I discovered that the levels of perfectionism in young people nowadays are going up and up and up. So studies have looked back over 30 years and measured perfectionism. And basically we've got a more perfectionistic young generation. And that is important because perfectionism is associated, we know that, with anxiety and depression and self-harm and eating issues. So that was interesting. And then a few people have started to look at what, why would people be more perfectionistic. And one of the theories is that if you make life more competitive and put more pressure on people to always be their best, then that will potentially drive, if they have a perfectionistic um strong perfectionistic streak it'll probably make it worse I mean I always say we're all we're all somewhere on the perfectionistic um um uh sorry I've gone blank the word um spectrum, spectrum. God, honestly <laughs> it's that time of the day spectrum and so it's I, I always say it's a bit like kindness you know we are more or less kind and we are more or less perfectionistic and um what seems to be happening is we're sort of driving people up one end of that spectrum and it could be that we're making it worse by making things competitive and when I started to look around I started to think hang on a minute because obviously it's easy but I, I look back to my own childhood and although we had competitive sports and there was a program called it's a knockout which was about as competitive as it got kind of on the general public side of things um, you know we didn't really I mean yes everyone was competing at school but, but after that, it, it wasn't too competitive. You'd you do your odd swimming badge or something, but that was it. And yet, you look around now, and we've made everything competitive. Um, and we've got people needing to be the best at things like cooking or making cakes, which to me should be relaxing and fun. And yeah, I particularly take, you know. <laughs> things like that which i just think are so much part of the human experience is to sort of s- sit and be relaxed uh, where possible with you know with food and talking and, and communing with others and then you've got We've got to make the best cake ever and it's got to be stressful and we've got to film them crying over it. And I just think, what world have we created? So you can then, if you watch the TED Talk, you'll see it rolls out to so many different arenas now that young people are literally immersed as they grow up in this culture of having to be the winner at everything. And you know, I look at my little boy who's ten, and he's grown up through juniors uh, and and infant school. And he'll come home and he go, you know, mummy, there's you know, photography competition. And I think, why can't it just be an exhibition? You know, just take a picture, put it on the wall. They can all look at all of them and just enjoy it. Mm. Because the problem is, if you make something competitive and perfectionistic, people won't participate. If they can't win, it's well known and been shown in studies, the more perfectionistic you are, if you're not gonna win, you will not try, you stop trying. So they've shown, you know, that they did this really clever study with cyclists and they told them to cycle, cycle, cycle. And this was the target they had to reach. These are competitive cycling. So they're cycling and at the end they were told whether or not they would succeeded and then they were going to have another go to beat their target. And in fact, if they were told they hadn't done it, even after their best efforts, they stopped trying. And that has been shown. It's not, oh, we make it competitive. They'll do their best. They'll be even better next time. It Doesn't work like that. You actually put people off and, and people start going, oh, do you know what? I'm, I'm just not going to bother. And I've even seen that in the little ones when you say, oh, it's a photography. Oh, I'm not doing the competition because I won't win. So they don't even have a go. So I I just I have lots of interest around that area because we're stopping people trying new things and having fun with it.
0: Mm. Yeah. And I think. um yeah because within obviously within the kind of sporting world and and um, fitness world that obviously that the my mind's community is kind of based around the competitiveness is so apparent and then if we're adding on to that all this extra competitiveness yeah you know, i i i often see kind of in athletes and even in myself um personally as you say we're all kind of on that perfectionist spectrum i I wouldn't want to take part in a sport if i didn't think i was going to be good at it or i'd be i'd be less inclined to take part in it i think that's quite common in in athletes
1: yeah yeah Um, that's exactly it that's the perfectionist streak whereas if you said to young people because of course we're trying to get young people whose minds are still not you know fully shaped and they're developing to say try something new you know give rock climbing a go or go surfing or take um you know paint or try music if their natural immersed world that they're in is they have to be the best at it, though, because they're going to have to win. This, everything is competition. They are much less likely to just give things a go. And actually, do you know what? I wasn't very good at that, but I tried it. But it might have given them another skill. It might have tuned their ear to something or their eye to something. They might have met some new people. It's all the other stuff that goes with it. That they're missing out on not just the fact they might have been the world's most brilliant trumpet player but they never tried <laughs> yeah it, it, you know it's and and that's what we're doing we're sort of filtering out just doing stuff that we know we'll be brilliant at and we'll win we lose all the other stuff around it
0: mm. and, I, and I, again I, I suppose in the kind of um fitness world that those perfectionist tendencies and, and wanting to be the best and wanting to achieve this perfect either like a physique or, or some kind of like um perfect um goal or a record or something people may be less inclined to take up certain sports or certain um goals within within fitness that they feel like they may not be able to reach and then that can limit people um in their kind of actual potential as well as make them feel less about themselves because they they're not allowing themselves to to you know get the progress that they would get just because they know they're not going to become the world's strongest man or the the world's fittest woman or you know you're not you're not going to just because you're not going to reach that top pinnacle you may be less likely to do it
1: And I have a few sayings in life, you know, when people say, well, what's your kind of quick take on that? And and one of them would be to try new things. It's so important for our brain development, for our social skills, for everything. You know, I I put this line in my book for parents that, you know, we didn't develop from caves and become the species we are now by sitting there waiting for Uber Eats to, you know, deliver the buffalo at lunchtime. We went out, we hunted it and we took the risk and those that survived you know but the point is we were willing to try something new or the one who tried the new berries and so on and so on vegans are okay too but it's just (laughs) the point that you've got to try new stuff you can't just sit there or worry that you're not going to be good enough because you might not be the best so that's one thing is try new things but just to come back to what you were saying I think it is so important that people make a difference between doing your best and being the best. And I think if you, you know, you should be happy with and live with being the best you can be, you just do your best, whatever it is, I'm not just talking sports and academic stuff, and that's particularly important to, um people getting, you know, results and things like that at the moment in, in August, but it is so important to know the difference between having to try and be the best at everything, and actually just doing your best, and I think that is really, we have to keep repeating that.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I think, um, again i'm just going to kind of keep reverting this back to sport because that's kind of where i I know but um i think in in athletes often what i get because i try and promote that same kind of thing that same kind of message and i'm just kind of curious on your opinion of this and you may not have one because i don't know if you've been asked this before but athletes often say to me when i say that oh you shouldn't you know strive to be the best you rather than the kind of the best in the world or you know don't don't define yourself purely by the sport you know be good and be be yourself in all these different things people say that if if you if you don't obsess and become you know so focused on this one goal to be the strongest person in the world or whatever and get super competitive about it you'll never reach it you'll never obtain it um what what would your answer be to that or what or do you think about that
1: Well, the quick answer, and this is a little sort of facetious, but I think Leonardo da Vinci was very good at many, many things. There is absolutely no evidence that you can only be really good at something if you only focus on that and obsess with it. So I think that, you know, that that is just... Kind of people making excuses for themselves and developing their obsessive behaviors. So humans are perfectly able to be great at lots of things and you're much more likely to do that if you let your brain develop in lots of different ways. So. You know there are lots of things coming into play with that. The first thing is that when you're young, and I'm talking about up to about the age of 25, your brain is still developing. We know that now. We used to think it was kind of all done in childhood, and then we realized, oh, it's a bit late to tea, but actually, probably mid late 20s, the brain finishes all its pre- preparation and development. So one of the processes we go through, or uh, stages if you like, is black and white thinking, it's all or nothing. And so that slightly obsessive nature towards sport or towards a particular type of music or fashion or whatever it is you're into, is actually a normal stage of the sort of teen to mid and early twenties, is that you get very into one particular thing. Now there's an interesting evolutionary reason behind that, um, because we learn best when we're passionate about something. So um, as teens, we're all learning about life. We need to be passionate about different things to learn about it. So it's a generally evolutionary trait is to become passionate about stuff to learn about it. And you learn the most when you're you know, young, really. Mm-hmm. So we get very obsessive. We get very focused. And the important thing is to perhaps those around the other people, the person who's maybe becoming very focused, is to just reflect that to them. You know, you're spending a lot of your time, like 90% of your free time doing this, but actually in terms of life skills, meeting new people, developing your brain, all of that other stuff that needs to happen, you know, the neuron pathways can become very, very fixed if you just do the same thing, think the same thing over and over again. You want to make that widened out. You want to have a nice variety of like, different things going on in your brain to do that you need to do lots of different things Mm. so so there's just you know it's just not right to just say well as a human i'm going to have to be totally obsessive to be the best at something actually i think that in itself is not true but whilst it needs commitment and time and effort, it's also important to do other things. And it keeps us healthy, you know, mentally healthy and well, if we have other things going on on in our lives, you know, that that is important too, to learn about lots of different things or do a bit of reading or listening to music. So, you know, I, I just think we have to be careful when people say that, that may be their belief, quite a sort of black and white belief, but it isn't necessarily the truth
0: yeah it's, it's kind of a similar my answer is always because what part was well, kind of two parts to it, but th- first of all similar to what you're saying whereas i think even even if you're trying to be the this um, amazing power lifter and you need to spend several hours a day in the gym there are still several other hours in the day where you shouldn't be thinking about the gym because it's over now you know you can yeah. you can go about and you can do other things and that will help with your mental health as you're saying and my other my other statement, which is kind of unrelated but is a thing I always kind of crop up, is um those those individuals who are at the top level and say that they they've been obsessed with it and you know they've put like their entire life into it, the ones that say that are a very minute sample mm-hmm. of of people who have lots of people who may have done that and not succeeded and not not got to that point because often if you do obsess over it you do tend to get that burnout effect where you know you've done you've done it for so much if you're thinking about something for so long it does just kind of it will wear off over time like that's um kind of a normal tendency to happen Um, and
1: are those people the most interesting people in the world (laughs) the ones that have just obsessed i mean you know i'm sure they're nice people but i don't think it makes you you know, it's much fun to be around or whatever. I and obviously everybody has different aims and goals in life and, and that's completely fine. People make their own decisions. As long as they have enough insight to realise they're choosing to do that, it's not necessarily the best thing for them.
0: Yeah, that, that is also that's a very good point, as I think um, a lot of people in a past me would have said would have said to that um that you know you just don't understand like i i have to, i want to be the strongest person in the world like i want to i want to be this like super buff like shredded person you just don't get it um but i think often what happens is over time if those people begin to kind of delve within themselves and delve within to their mental health they realize that the reason they're doing that is for some other kind of under you know the fact that they maybe feel that they can't get to the point where they are just this lovable person, or you know, they are okay not being this extreme, you know, perfect kind of goddess, man, or god, like mm. godly human. Um, you know, and I think I think that's often what that kind of striving is for. Not necessarily for everyone. I'm sure there are people out there who have you know got everything in order and they they think that's the case. But I think it's important to to make sure that if that is your goal, what, why is that your goal? Yeah. Like is, is it really because you're in this place and you decided that's what I wanna do? Or yeah. is there something underneath that that's driving that? Yeah, um, yeah. it's also interesting that perfect, perfectionism, as you were talking about, perfectionism is often linked with disordered eating and um, with compulsive exercise as well, yeah. um, which is quite a common thing in the, the gym and fitness community. And it, in the people, like the community of my mind, the people that I speak to, it is something that happens quite often. Um, I'm interested if um, you have any advice for people, I might, you kind of touched on it before, but those kind of athletes or gym goers who are struggling with that perfectionist tendency and, and maybe it's causing some kind of disordered eating or it's causing some kind of um, compulsive exercise, if there is kind of a, a way of thinking that might help with that or, you know, some, somewhere where they can seek help.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think if you recognize that something that you're doing, and in this case, it might be, you know, striving to be perfect all the time, and that's impacting on your quality of life, your ability to do the things you want to do, which might be to study or go to do your job or have a relationship in a sort of successful, healthy way with someone, if it's impacting on things like that, or or it may be something more physical like your sleep, you know, you don't sleep because you're worrying about stuff all the time if you notice that then that is always a good sign that it's time to talk to someone now i think it's important to say there are a whole raft of people out there that you can talk to but the important thing is to talk to someone who knows what they're talking about so a professional um you know it's important of course to have support from friends and family but if you if you just kind of kind of go to friends or other people in the gym or whatever you will just get a certain Um, story back and the themes won't necessarily be as objective and helpful as if you go to you know uh, it could be your GP it could be uh, NHS counselling through what's called IAPT so um, if you just put NHS IAPT and then the place where you live you'll find your local NHS free kind of counselling and psychology services it might be that if you're in a college or a university there will be on-site support and at work lots of places now have um you know well-being advisors but the point is that you talk to someone who can give you some objective reflection about what you want to do about it because actually if you were just saying the problem is perfectionism what's the treatment as such well actually you can have cbt cognitive behavioral therapy and the I mean you obviously have several sessions but the overarching sort of aim that you're trying to do with CBT for perfectionism is move people from this is my standard and it's unattainable because if I attain it I move it up so it's yeah back to where would be good enough what could I live with and still feel happy with and, and so that's the point of the CBT for perfectionism uh, and obviously that you know that may be provided um, by, by different people so you know if you're impacted on a day-to-day basis, and this is eating or over exercise or any other behaviors, then it's important to talk to a professional. Now of course there are brilliant online resources as well, Um, but but I'm a big fan of the talking, the talking therapies, you know, counseling, whatever. I think that sort of thing is very helpful on an individual basis.
0: And I, I agree. I, the, my experience with counselling in the past is it was majorly helpful. So I'm I'm a big advocate for counselling. Great. Um, so I think because um, I'm I don't want to I don't want to keep you for too long. So I think we'll move Sorry. on to the to the Q and A. Um, we've got a few pre- questions from the My Minds community. Um, yes. I've picked three. Um, I know you said the kind of first one you may not be able to touch on completely, but I'm still interested in your kind of answer. Mm. Um, but we'll, we'll go through, I'm gonna keep them anonymous so I won't say who said them, but- um, No, no, sure. over here. So I'll be paraphrasing slightly, but the first one is, um, what coping strategies would you recommend for someone dealing with restricting or binge eating episodes?
1: Yes, okay, so uh, as I did say to you, I'm not able to give um, clinical advice. I have to be very clear about that uh, as I'm not practicing anymore. Um, but I think if you're recognizing in yourself that there are some unhealthy strategies there and they are often used to cope with other stress. So something underlying is driving Uh, Whether it's restricted eating or binging, as you said, sometimes it's purging. So being sick, sometimes it's overexercising, sometimes it's sort of physical self-harm. I always go back to try and understand why they're happening. And um, it may be helpful because this is another free resource. I have done a second TEDx talk called Understanding Why. And that's on my website as well, if you want to add it. And it's another 10 minute one. And that's really, I mean, it's focused around self-harm, but this is sort of, if you like, a form of self-harm and it's all about you can't deal with the behavior unless you get under it and find out why it's happening and that again you may need that professional support to do that and it won't necessarily be a quick fix, but if you are prepared to talk about it, to work carefully and sensitively through some of those issues uh, with the right person, it's got to be the right person for you, then, you know, over a longer period of time, there's no reason you cannot recover fully from something where you've been, say, restricting and binging. So, you know, I would say if you're recognising it, brilliant, you're on the right path. Um, start to think about why it's happening. So what is it underneath that drives, the behavior is just a coping strategy, you know, and some people might come home and have a glass of wine and others will restrict what they eat. They're just different coping strategies, but they're not healthy. So it's about finding a healthy alternative um, and working through that with a professional would be the other thing, um, you know. So, so I would say start with that and it will then take time to sort out and unpick of it.
0: Yeah, and I think I think that is such an important just just dis, like distinguishing point about disordered eating often, and something that was a big big thing for me was when I realised that it, the food wasn't the issue. Um, like my my restriction of food or my overeating of food wasn't the problem, and I was so obsessive over it, I need to stop doing this thing that I'm doing with food. As soon as I realised through my counselling that there was something underneath that that was making me do this yes that that's when that change happened for me that was a big huge changing point for me i think that's so important for people
1: it is so important you've obviously got the insight lots of people don't which is absolutely fair enough because we have to learn about this but actually loads of professionals don't when i give my talks over you know whether it's to say academics who look after students or i go to schools or i talk to medical professionals and i get if i give a talk or relate to eating issues and i say eating eating disorders are not about food and people just sit there going. did she she just say that? Because clearly the word eating would imply, you know, and there's this sort of stunned silence and you have to explain to people that food is merely what people are doing to cope with whatever's underneath. So eating disorders are about, might be control or security or whatever, you know, there'll be something else going on for them. And often it's uh, trauma or distress around other things. And then people start to understand that that's why the, well-meaning dad who keeps telling his 16 year old daughter oh just eat a bit more never gonna fix it because it's not about the food and and then you start to get people sort of like the little you know light bulbs go on so i think that's really important
0: yeah i agree i agree okay question two um Is there a standard procedure for GPs um, that they use when dealing with someone with eating disorders or is it a case by case thing or is it even just like a trial and error thing for each GP, how does it work?
1: Okay, I mean, I hope it's not trial and error. (laughs) I mean, yeah, we try not to be too much like that. So I think what I'm understanding is like, how do GPs approach somebody who presents with eating issues? And um, you might remember me saying uh, before, very rarely actually do people come in and say, my problem is the eating uh, or eating related issues. They usually come in and might talk about food, um, talk about mood, they might talk about sleep, uh, weight. Obviously people come in and say, um, you know, oh, um, I think I've got, you know, intolerances. You know, there are lots of things that will have made them come in. And when you start to sort of scratch away at it, and so I think you're sort of the standard operating procedure, or what we call it sort of doing doing an assessment. So we listen. I mean, the first thing is to not interrupt somebody, and a good GP will let you talk for a good couple of minutes. I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but in a 10 minute appointment, without interrupting you, just let you tell your story. When you come to a sort of natural break and look like you're waiting or something, then they'll start to ask some open questions about, okay, you mentioned actually impulsing your weight. Is that something that you think about a lot? You know, and you start to kind of take them off in different directions. So it's about listening, assessment. You're doing a sort of risk assessment as you go along for everybody, you know, whether they come in with a heart problem or, or eating issues. And then and then it is individualized, of course, but you might need to do an examination, you might need to check their blood pressure. I mean, there'll be things that you need to assess. And then, At that point, you're gonna need to start finding out from the person in front of you what they want to do. So what are their ideas? What are their concerns about this? What are their expectations that you're gonna do next? Um, Sometimes we say, oh, actually, I I just wanted to check that it was okay, but I don't feel like doing anything about it at the moment. So you might say, "Mm -hmm. I mean, it really needs a little bit of work, but if you're not ready now, that's okay. Maybe come back when you are. Somebody else might say, okay, yeah, no, I thought I probably needed to do something. And then you'd agree together to refer them. So, you know, it, it's absolutely individualized. Every single every single person you see, you have a personal approach to. But yes, there are sort of standard things that we go through in our minds. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, Yeah, that's kind of, I think that basically answers the entire question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for um, the final question, then, it's kind of a two-parter. Um, I am paraphrasing because the person um, wasn't able to write it all in the little box that the the question thing allows. Sure, yeah, yeah, I, I had a bit sure. of a conversation with them, um, but basically, that this person had had a bad experience with a GP um, mm-hmm. when they had kind of got to the point where they'd revealed about their eating disorder, and it, they said, and I'm quoting here, they they said all the wrong things. Mm-hmm. I'm not; they didn't really kind of specify what that was. Oh, but sure. um, yeah. do you think GPs? generally struggle with eds Um, and my second part of that question afterwards is do you have tips for people going to a gp with an eating disorder issue of how they can maybe move maneuver through those barriers so first off do they do you think gps struggle and then how could people maneuver through that do you think
1: yeah i mean the thing about being a gp is that you're supposed to know a little bit about everything but not necessarily be an expert at any one thing so that you can pick up when to worry about something so we have this like in our head little red flag that will go up if someone comes in I mean I'm, this is an extreme but they come in and they say oh, I've got central crush, crushing chest pain you go ding <laughs> and <laughs> then you react the problem is that you you can be pretty good at doing that across the board but there are some conditions and some uh just groups of patients if you like that can cause gps to be quite anxious themselves quite stressed and that's first of all the group of just younger people because younger people can be really quite unwell to but to a point where you don't realize and then suddenly get very unwell so they kind of maintain a normal life and keep going and then you know be suddenly very unwell it's very unpredictable whereas with older people they've got less flexibility about that you kind of know if they're getting worse you kind of pick up on it a bit easier so the first thing is that young people can be quite worrying to look after and th- the other thing is that mental health conditions generally can be quite stressful for lots of reasons for uh gps to look after so if they're then presented with eating issues which are themselves quite complex and emotional and um, we know that eating disorders can have some of the worst outcomes if not dealt with, okay, then you know that kind of makes for quite a sort of stressful 10 minutes of trying to assess someone and know, you know, so So a GP who's more confident with that won't be panicking or worrying and they won't say things like oh It's probably a phase which is one of my least favorite phrases that I ever hear. I hate that phrase Um, Or you know, just eat a bit more or oh you'll get over it all of that rubbish Which just drives me mad, but it comes from a lack of understanding usually or it comes from a GP who's just so exhausted they're not thinking sometimes. So not making excuses, there are just reasons why people Mm. say stuff like that. It's not helpful. However, I would say that, uh, so on the one hand, I think you said something like, um, do GPs struggle with eating Mm. issues? The answer is many do, although many are very good at it. So it's about finding someone to look after you and work with you, who you connect with and who you can trust and who will be reliable and even when you have your ups and downs will be there and supportive for you. Now that may not always be the first GP you see and um, I always make the point if you're for example at university and there are GP practices associated with that university, often they're better at this, not always, but often they're better at this sort of thing because they deal with it all the time and they have an interest in it. They wouldn't work there if they didn't like these sorts of problems, and these sorts of young people. So you know, look around, find maybe a practice where they've got lots of young patients, for example. So if they're in a part of town where, you know, there's loads of young people, professionals, whatever, register with them, ask around who's the local, you know, on the Facebook group for that practice, who's interested in mental health, ask the receptionist, do any of your GPs have an interest in mental health? Just, you know, so find someone who first of all might be quite good at that, build that relationship with them, that's a good thing to do. And then if you're going to an appointment and you're just not sure, because uh, you haven't met them before, so you're hoping they'll be they'll be good, m- make a list, okay? So make a list, be really clear, write it down, because you get in and I'm um, oh, uh, oh, God, I was gonna say something, and you know, you forget. So make a list, um, don't necessarily expect that you'll get through everything that day and have it all sorted. <laughs> it's just to help you as a sort of ed memoir. And if you, if you can, you know, write down the things, why they're bothering you. So, so you know, um, I spend a lot of my time thinking about this, but it bothers me because then it stops me sleeping or, you know, it's affecting my relationship with somebody or what, whatever. So it's helpful for the GP to understand the context it's happening in and what made you come today. You know, if you say, well, actually, I've been like this for three years, that's fine. Just, they're not going to mind. They just want to know, okay, well, what prompted you to come now? And, you know, what's different now? So, Anything you can do that gives them your context, your worries, your concerns, that's what they want to understand, okay? It's not about right and wrong answers, but it will help them much more quickly hone down over those, maybe not just that one appointment, obviously, but other appointments to sort of focus on you. And there are some brilliant, um, maybe after this, if I can find it, uh, uh, there's some great little... videos and things about preparing to go to the GP, what you need to know and, and how young people can prepare to go to the GP and, um, or anyone can. I think the Royal College of GPs did a little video. You know, there are helpful things out there if you want more information, but I think it's finding someone you connect with mm-hmm. and making a list and like, what is your concern? That's, that's really helpful if you thought about it before you go in
0: yeah i i um resonate with your your point about finding a gp that is because that that's basically how i did did it originally with my gps was i rang up my my actual doctors and i'm aware that some people may not have kind of the they might be in a position where they're too nervous to do this but the way i did it was i rang up and i said to the receptionist i want a doctor's appointment um, and it's going to be something to do with mental health so do you have someone who knows about that or you know specializes in that and then I got okay. in touch with my doctor and then and then it kind of went from there and it went much smoother than some other times that I've had with GPs where it's been difficult it's the kind of sayings that you were you were just mentioning there um, and yeah. the, one of the one of the ones that I've had before is the doctor told me because I'm, I'm quite like a big guy the doctor told me oh, you don't look like you have an eating disorder uh, <laughs> um, which wasn't fantastic for me at the time um but again like you say they're, they're only human like i think yeah. um we we put gps up onto this pedestal anyone with doctor in their name we think they're this like super natural entity um but you know if they've been working every day for the last 6 months and tired out like their eyeballs and they're going to say something stupid occasionally and
1: no absolutely you know so what you can do as you've said you're absolutely right you you put it right out there up front or when you go in and you sit in the chair you know it's even just helpful if somebody just starts like oh, actually i've come about my mental health just in our minds it's like going into gear we kind of like you know and if someone comes in and goes oh it's about my i don't know I'm, I'm, something completely unrelated you know like oh my my acne is playing up or something like that you're like acne, you know and in your mind you go down into your sort of drop down of where you've got to be and i know it's but it just helps us not because we're putting you in a box it just helps us to be in the right ah i'm in my listening mode <laughs> you know i'm kind of right that's fine i will step back and just let you talk to me about this and and actually it will just help set the tone of that whole consultation mm-hmm. um so anyway yeah i think you're absolutely right you know do what you can to find the right person uh, even if it's trial and error it might take a couple of goes mm-hmm. but i think that that probably matters more than anything else is the connection but it's like a therapist connection between the people is the most important thing
0: yeah i think yeah i think remembering that your gp is a human being and their their brain is not an endless functioning tool like <laughs> it, it does have limits and be, be like like you're saying from the get-go kind of make it make it as obvious as you're you dare as uh, like you know because some people might be in a position where they're too nervous to say but you know, be as obvious as you can. Even, even I possibly, and um, I don't know if you agree with this, but maybe even writing it down on a note and giving it to the GP if you can't say it. Absolutely, um, I've
1: had that. Yeah. I don't mind at all. I've had virtual essays. I mean, I can't necessarily read through all of it at the time, but you know, it. I say uh, this is fantastic. I start to read it to get a sense of it, and then oh, I can see here you're talking about your mood or your whatever. You know, I've had drawings. I've had flow charts. I mean, it really helps to know how the person, how it is for them. So it's
0: all good. And I think that that's a, that's a really good thing for the kind of athletes and sports people because I think the stigma around mental health within that that community is is very difficult and um, it can feel like you're you know you're you're letting yourself this image down if you speak to a, a doctor about mental health or speak to anyone about mental health and that's partly what we're doing with my minds we're trying to break that down. Um, yeah. But that that can be a good first step. You know, if you can't if you don't want to say it because it makes you feel weird just write it down and then you don't have to yeah. think about it and just pass it over and then you can crack on
1: yeah brilliant
0: okay um thank you so much i'm gonna give you an opportunity to kind of um plug your social medias websites etc etc and i just want to say before you do thank you so so much dom oh, gotcha. um it has been an amazing conversation i've really enjoyed it and i think a lot of the people listening are going to get a lot out of this i right. know i have personally so um <laughs> yeah thank you please kind of yeah um tell everyone where they can find you um maybe kind of talk about your books or etc and um, oh, but i'll be okay. linking everything down below just so people know yeah
1: well no that's really kind thank you so much so i mean i'm on kind of all the social media platforms but the easiest ones are maybe the twitter and instagram are both um at and then dr dom thompson so dr dom thompson all one word Um, everything that anyone wants to find out in terms of my tedx talks videos interviews podcasts i've done there are free resources it's all on my website which is Buzz Consulting, so B-U-Z-Z consulting, all one word, .co.uk, so I mean, if they want my TEDx talks, they're there, you know, they're really easy, and all the books are listed there, but the ones that may be of um, most interest, actually, I've just got behind me, uh, they're like this, um, they're, there are five of them, actually, but um, Sorry to be irritating. This is the most recent one. They're just little guidebooks. They're like really small, like city guides. That's anxiety. That one's depression. That one's about staying well at uni, essentially. Um, And they're just little, little guidebooks written from 20 years of looking after students. Um, And this most recent one comes out on September the 3rd and they're all about how to look after yourself. It's all about positive ways to uh, make a change. For example, this one's all about unhealthy coping strategies. So six chapters, you know, drugs, alcohol, self-harm, gambling, eating, there's a couple of others. Um, And each one will have lots of practical stuff because everything that I I am about is practical tips. I'm a very top tips kind of person. Uh, and the only other thing, again, it's free. People might be interested. I do a thing called um, hashtag Dom in 60 seconds. See what I did there. <laughs> um, <laughs> And they're just literally 60-second videos about a whole array of things, everything from your self-esteem to procrastination and all sorts of things. And they're all on YouTube. But again, um, you know, just look on my social media. They'll be easy enough to find. So hopefully lots lots of different things that I've done to, to help with young people's mental health. And if you're a parent, just um, I've written a book called How to Grow a Grown-Up. It's the um, yellow and pink one that I always have there. Um, that one is for parents raising a young person in the 21st century which is pretty stressful
0: <laughs> fantastic am i um what was the name of that the latest book you were talking about with the addiction this system? one is yeah.
1: stay balanced at, and it says at university but it, uh, but while you study but actually it's for anyone it's basically got one chapter on each of those sort of um unhealthy coping strategies mm-hmm. and then you can do instead and how to support a friend for example if they're gambling or they're drinking too much what you can say but it's all about the practical
0: oh fantastic thank you um okay thank you everybody for listening or watching etc um yeah i'll see you next time bye